Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Welcome back, thought leaders. This is Microfamous Conversations. And my conversation today is with Steve Markman. He's the president and founder of Markman Speaker Management. If you don't know the name, I guarantee you, you know the people that he has worked with because holy cow. Let me read off just a few of the names that Steve's worked with over the years. Jay Bear, Greg Stone, a past guest of the show, Peg Doyle, Robert Tucker, Stephen Shapiro, Lisa Dennis, Terrell Owens, an ex-NFL star turned public speaker now, um, Adam Markle, Jim Conrad, or Jill Conrath, I should say, Bill Jensen, author of The Future of Work. The uh, Literally too many names to mention but over the years, Steve has been teaching people uh, how to get unpaid speaking engagements, right? So doing coaching and doing consulting with bigger companies, helping executives and entrepreneurs and thought leaders get unpaid speaking engagements that actually do generate leads, build thought leadership and help you know, meet potential clients, strategic partners, all that fun stuff. And there's a huge difference between the people like the Jill Conraths and the Bill Jensen's and the Jay Bears of the world that are doing keynote speaking where they're the ones that are getting paid versus everyone else. Because the dirty little secret about the speaking business is that 90% of all speaking gigs are unpaid. Now there is a way to become one of the few that do get paid and Steve talks about that. But his specialty is really helping you get the right speaking engagements that's gonna put you in front of an audience of people who can turn around and cut you a check. Now, obviously, this is the year of insanity, and we don't have a lot of live events. There's not a lot of live audiences going on anywhere, and so how, how are people dealing with that? Well, uh, Steve and I go into the behind-the-scenes factors that are preventing events from coming back really before summer of 2021. There's, there's a lot of really great reasons for that, and he's also going to talk about virtual and hybrid events and how you can capitalize on this time of experimentation to overtake other thought leaders, people that are stuck in that traditional mindset or people who are pulling back because maybe they've been on the road for 10 years speaking and now they've taken this break and realized that they want to do something different. So there's an opportunity here for emerging thought leaders to get in if you take advantage, right? So we also talk about where the money in events is going right now and how to take advantage of associations and uh, event organizers that want to get content out to their people, but right now they don't, they don't have any way to do it through live events. So how can you partner with those organizations to get your content into the hands of their members, right? So we really just, the, the, the crux of this particular conversation is that now is the time to get aggressive, start reaching out, start building relationships with the trade associations and event organizers because they are looking. They are booking, you know, they're booking venues, they're making plans for next year on the assumption that live events are moving forward starting in the summer of 2021. So now is the time to reach out to them and we're gonna talk about how and how to take the next steps. So Steve, again, the president and founder of Markman Speaker Management. Let's bring in Steve. 
Steve, officially welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Uh, so we have some mutual friends. We connected uh, through Ken Lazat, who's been an amazing guest on the show before, as well as Peter Winnick, and uh, doing some fun stuff with them. We actually were all kind of a little bit formed, a little bit of the same circle, where we're talking about similar things. And I wanted to get your perspective because you've been working in the speaking industry for quite a few years and worked with a lot of incredible people, like Jay Bear, and there's a whole bunch of people that uh, on your on your speaker site that people probably would recognize. And so you've been behind the scenes of some really, really big, big names. Um, and you said something to me before we started recording, which is that the, the speaking industry is not dead. In fact, there's probably more going on right now than there was when there were physical events going on. So I wanted to get your perspective. What do you mean by that? Sure. Well, basically, the conferences stopped being held in person. So COVID came really quick in March um, and April. And then all those spring conferences that was scheduled in the March, April, May, June timeframe quickly became uh, virtual. And, and so there were all these platforms that were available to people before. Now, you know, a whole bunch of new platforms came in, out of the woodwork to, you know, take advantage of the fact that this was a need to be filled. And so they all went virtual, all these, uh, most of these conferences, uh, and they kept the fall conferences as in person. And then as June and July evolved, they realized that they're going to have all kinds of uh, potential problems um, because of health, liability, um, hotels not wanting to change contracts. There were all sorts of things uh, that were going on. And so basically, they basically said, let's forget about 2020. We're not going to do in-person conferences for 2020, although you still see an occasional announcement coming across an email that there's something in Vegas in December. Personally, I think that's um, not going to happen because then you have um, the companies that have to send people that aren't going to want to have that liability, as well as the um, government regulations that are prohibiting any attendance, you know, basically more Mm -hmm. than 25 to 100, depending on the state. So basically what happened was um, there most of the conferences, at least the ones that are held by associations, which represent the vast uh, majority of the conference uh, conferences that are held in, um, in the U.S. and overseas. Uh, basically, they said, let's um, make all the conferences virtual. And uh, the speaking opportunities are, continue on abating. And I have clients that I work with that, you know, we're talking about unpaid speaking engagements, and there are so many opportunities now because of um, going virtual. So whereas a an association might have their annual conference and one or two other small specialized events. Now they're actually saying, okay, let's uh, have more. Um, they may be shorter, but more frequent. And so a lot of associations every six weeks, every eight weeks are rolling out a webinar. Um, just did one on Tuesday, for example, for the Institute of Management Consultants. And they, they do them very frequently now, whereas before they, they weren't when they were all in person. Uh, And so all of these virtual events still need speakers. If it's a webinar, they might need two or three. If it's a full-fledged conference, uh, like the fall ones that are coming up in the uh, last quarter of this year, they still need somewhere between 15 and 30 speakers. They're they're going gung-ho on these um, 
uh, full two, three-day conferences. Um, they may be shorter sessions because they think Peter, people don't have the patience to sit for an hour to listen to somebody or watch somebody, um, but they are making um, strides in um, how um, all these platforms are working. The technology is um, improving daily, and even sponsors are able to participate in these conferences because they have these virtual trade show companies now where you can show your product online. Um, so a lot of sophisticated things are going on. But like I say, they all need speakers. And so if, you, if somebody wants to be a speaker, they just have to reach out to the organizer like they did before, except it's going to be virtual and not in person. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, there's there's so many interesting kind of little sub directions that this this stuff might take. You know, like in the abstract, having a virtual event and then supplementing that with small groups of in-person meetups would work in a perfect world, right? Right. The interesting thing exactly. is going to be what happens when somebody like an association tries to facilitate that and help make that happen and half the country believes that that's putting people at risk. Right. So right. it's like, like if, if it wasn't for the health concern, like it would make sense to go, okay, let's do, let's do local meetups. Let's, let's facilitate in-person meetups of groups of 10 to 25. You know, let's get, let's get people together. Like if we can't get together in a thousand or, or 10,000 people in a conference center, let's get the same thousand people together in person in smaller clumps. And it's just, it's, yeah, the health concern is such a wild card because it changes things that people would normally do if you just said, you, you association, you can't have a physical event. They'd, they would shift to different things, but now the health concern just changes that landscape. And I think people are going to have to like self-organize um, and just right. reach out to other people and say, Hey, would you like to meet up? Like I'm, I'm going to be in Boston. Let's get together. And maybe there's some other folks we can pull together for a small informal meetup around the, right. around the topic. Exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting world. Um, let's talk about the unpaid speaking engagement because you mentioned that and that really is your specialty in the world that you run in, which from the outside looking in is an odd thing to specialize in uh, to get paid, to get highly paid to help people get unpaid speaking engagements. But obviously people know what they're doing. Uh, it, it works for lead generation. But you mentioned something behind the scenes the other day that something like 95% of all speaking gigs are unpaid. How is that possible? Uh, well, it's Possible because it's true. So <laughs> basically, uh, <laughs> to be succinct, but basically, um, you know, a lot of people wake up one day and they say, you know, I, I saw uh, this guy uh, got, a, I heard he got $100,000 to speak or, uh, you know, um, Bill Clinton got $200,000 to speak somewhere or any former president gets sort of the going ex-president rate. So um, basically what happens is, um, the associations and the conference companies that are for-profit, um, that are organized as a conference company, they, they have to make money. And this is a major revenue generator for associations in particular. If they paid every single speaker, let's say there's 35 speakers in a, in a, over a two-day period or 45 speakers if they have a lot of you know, um, breakout sessions, um, they would be losing money hand over fist because um, it's just the, the math and it doesn't work. Okay. And so um, the way it's set up and, and people in the industry um, sometimes are surprised about it. Uh, corporate speakers are not because that's what they're used to. Um, but basically the keynote speaker is primarily the uh, speaker that's getting paid. It might be um, this typically a lead off kickoff keynoter. 
And then sometimes there's a luncheon keynote or sometimes there, there's a closing keynote. Uh, so, th so they might have to pay two or three people. And those are the keynote speakers, um, which are part of, for example, on the speakers bureau side of my, my company, um, they do get paid to speak. And they, they tend to be people who rely on uh, speaking at, for a substantial part of their income. In some cases, all of their income. Yeah. And, uh, and they are authors of multiple books. They're um, you know, people who are motivational speakers, you know, it's the, the guy that climbed Mount Everest uh, on a donkey backwards, you know, the people that have, that have done some, you know, adventurous, what's called the adventure speakers. Um, and, and then there's the subject matter experts, uh, you know, there are dozens of those, but, but most of them have written books and they have some um, level of fame in, in, their, um, in their expertise. Uh, and in their um, area of um, concern. But all the other uh, uh, speakers, the breakout sessions, the panelists, um, for the most part, none of them are, are paid. Um, the other part of the paid engagement is companies. So, um, you know, IBM will have a worldwide meeting for all their IT people, let's say. And they expect to pay someone to come in to address that meeting. Um, so the corporate market is also paid, but the area that I focus on um, for the 26 years I've been in business um, is what basically uh, companies want, which is to have uh, increased exposure for their company or for the speaker or both um, so that it builds awareness for the brand, uh, it generates um, thought leadership, and it um, creates opportunities to be in front of prospective clients. So it's a lead generation effort. And, and depending on the company's objectives, it could be any or all of those. Um, and it could be for individuals as well. Um, so I had you know, two types of customers or clients. One is, one is the corporate customer um, where they're looking for exposure for the company. And the other is an individual, say a solo practitioner, consultant, whether it's IT, uh, um, strategy, marketing, um, whatever the, their specialty is, or it could be an attorney or an architect. Uh, I have a, you know, a nutritionist who's a client of mine. She wants to speak to people about nutrition, obviously, so, uh, and medical people. So it's not all business, although what I do is primarily business. But the key thing is the processes the, and techniques of getting these speaking engagement are the same regardless of what the conference is and regardless of the specialty. It's hmm. interesting. And for the, uh, for the people that are kind of breaking into the speaking circuit, I know this will mostly apply for, for next year when the traditional speaking gigs are mm -hmm. back on the table, but um, what is the, uh, what's the credibility indicators that the bigger companies are looking for that would lead them to hire, especially, especially something, someone coming from the, like an entrepreneurial background. Cause I know a lot of folks like this, Michael Mayer is a great example, right? Michael Mayer writes an amazing book called seven levels of communication. He's been used to speaking to like real estate, mortgage sales professionals, like that kind of like the independent indie entrepreneur market. Yeah. But he's got a message on communication that could be sold into the big corporate market. Like, and he knows it. And so like folks like that are eyeing those markets going, well, okay, well, how do I make that leap from speaking to a bunch of entrepreneurs over here to yeah. getting into like these bigger companies? Um, 
some of them have traditionally published books, some of them don't. Um, how important is that still? And are there any other credibility indicators that they could build that would give them that in, that credibility with the bigger company? Right. So um, the, the short answer is very tough for uh, an unknown or someone who's been used to uh, or whose experience is in one specific um, field. I mean, specializing in a narrow field is, is, is um, you know, a, a niche, and that's, that's great. I would never criticize somebody for doing that. But set, breaking this out to do a different industry when it's a corporate speaking opportunity is very difficult. Um, they, they want a name. They want someone that's probably written two or three books. Um, mm -hmm. The book writing is extremely important. Um, because it demonstrates expertise in a particular area. If it's a paid engagement, it's not a paid engagement. It's, it's almost irrelevant. So there's, um, there's a definite demarcation between um, what conference organizers are looking for if they're paying a speaker versus if they're not, right? Yeah. So whether it's a corporate or an association speaking opportunity, the, the key thing is um, if they're paying them, they have to... Um, have uh, the street cred that says this is somebody that's important. So the attendees may not have heard of that person, but once they start explaining, oh, this person ran the XYZ or this person discovered, um, you know, some great scientific breakthrough, even though their name may not be a household name, what they accomplished is um, something uh, that people can relate to or they'll say, oh, yeah, I know knew that. You know, I just didn't know that was the guy that invented the napkin, right? right. So yep. um, that's important. So it's what you've done. But in the non-speaking world, in the non-paid world, I should say, um, what's important is the, your credibility as an expert in that field. And that can come from, you know, working with um, some major corporations as a consultant, um, you never having written a book. That's fine. Um, okay. And I tell people, you don't need speaking experience. You need life experience and you need uh, expertise experience. You need to show that you're a subject matter expert if it's a panel on, you know, um, the banking industry for IT executives. So if, you, if you're a consultant and you've uh, worked with um, some of the major banks in the country or in the world, um, then that will establish your credibility and uh, even more so than someone who's um, uh, had 20 years of speaking experience. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. So in terms of the rest of this year, mm -hmm. what are some of the interesting things that people are experimenting with that we should be aware of, whether that's for us as the speakers, potential speakers and subject matter experts. Uh, but also, you know, I've got clients that they're the ones that were putting on events at their own expense. They were putting on conferences for three, four or 500 people. And now that's out, out of the, you know, out of the, uh, out of the bag, out of this, basically just out, out of the realm of possibility, unfortunately. Right. Um, so let's attack it from, from the, the speaker's perspective first associations basically want to connect. They want to provide content. So you mentioned webinars. Is there anything else interesting that you're hearing of people experimenting with besides just like doing more webinars more frequently? So I think that um, if I, the best advice I could give to somebody who wants to speak uh, is to not stop. Um, um, the, the key to remember is that they all need speakers, right? So um, that 500 event person um, they're just doing it virtually. They still need all those speakers. 
And they, they are, in fact, um, the large conferences, the, na- the national conferences, although one can say, make a case that everything's national now, it's actually global, because you just look at the little box in front of us. Uh, but the, the conferences that were um, promoted as national um, and want to attract people from all over the country, they're still issuing what's called the call for uh, papers or call for speakers. Um, so it's an application that needs to be filled out. Um, if you're a speaker and you uh, want to speak to that conference, you get a hold of that. It's usually on the website or if you're on their mailing list, you'll be getting it in the mail, in the email. Uh, and basically, um, the conference organizers doing the same thing as before. They're looking at the criteria for, you know, what, what are they looking for? Uh, same criteria, just that it's being done virtually. So I would say, you know, the primary thing is to, to not um, say, well, I have to wait till next year because it's going to be in person. Um, if you have a good presentation and you have to make some tweaks, obviously, for doing it um, virtually, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit different. Some people are not comfortable with it. Um, and uh, most people um, can adapt pretty easily. You just have to remember to look at the little green or white dot and you have to, you know, do what some other things that are um, a bit different realizing that you're not speaking to a crowd and some people have a problem getting motivated because they sort of like eye contact in the audience and that's not there. So it's a little bit different, but as long as you can maintain your enthusiasm, um, that's the key thing. And, and just keep contacting these organizers um, either through the call for speakers or through just finding out who they are. And there's a whole process. I I have a training program where I teach people how to uh, acquire these speaking engagements, right? So there's a whole process of, uh, many steps that have to be taken to attain these engagements. Um, and, the pro- you know, you basically have to start with saying, who is it that I need to contact? So you identify that person, you identify all your uh, potential targets that you've researched, and those uh, are the ones that you're going to, to go after. And so it doesn't have to be a webinar. It could be a full-fledged conference where you're one of 20 speakers. And the advantage to that is that um, they're probably going to uh, promote the heck out of it just as they promoted it before. They'll promote it on their website. Uh, I'm speaking at a conference in October, and the first thing you see when you go on their website is um, this is virtually going to be the best conference ever. So they did a little play on words they did. Uh, so, <laughs> That's clever. I like uh, it. Yeah, it was, it was good. And uh, I don't know if they copyrighted or patented or not. Uh, trademarked, I should say. Uh, so... so um, but all you can see the full program and all those speakers that are on there are getting good publicity because there's an advantage of speaking. Um, and that's one of the things that you asked me about what else can they do? So when you, when you're a speaker, you're not limited to the 20, 30 or 400 people that are listening on, even on a virtual, uh, event because if your name is listed on the website where the agenda is, which it should be, then um, you're getting publicity that way. And I've had clients that actually got business as a result of um, having their name in there from a company, a client that never actually heard them speak, but they said, oh, this person is an expert in this field. We need somebody who's an expert in that field. And they call them, and they became, they became a client. Doesn't wow. happen too often. As I say, can. that is a stretch. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a niche. I don't recall exactly the. Yeah, I was going to say um, he the, must have a subject, really. But it was 
it was something idea. like that wasn't an everyday kind of kind of thing and yeah um, yeah just yeah just caught their eye because he might yeah he must be like super niche down have a very clear exactly. presentation of what he does and, and and be super unique which which i i would hope you know for all of us i mean it, Hey, if we can get us uh, ourselves niched down to the point where somebody happens to see our name and a one sentence, one liner of what we do on a website and says, "Oh, I need that guy," uh, right. that's a that's a pretty good <laughs> position to be in. Um, right, exactly. And uh, and then finally, so the second the second thing I wanted to hit you with was uh, if you're if you're one of the speakers, like a lot of my clients, you know, they run coaching companies, consulting companies, um, to where a lot of their leads are generated by the events that they themselves put on. Now they're not all huge. Some of them are, you know, four to 500 attendees. Some of them are right. more like mastermind style, you know, 75 to hundred people, a higher level, smaller niche within their industry, uh, right. sorts of things. And of course, a lot of them are hosting podcasts. So they're getting, they're, they're communicating with their audience consistently, but they are looking at that and going, man, you know, my, my yearly event in June where I had 150 people in my audience come in. And then a lot of times those bought coaching off the back of that, that, that event doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so is there anything that they can be thinking about or maybe doing or consider doing over the course of this, um, the next six months to substitute for those lost sales? Right. So there are, um, a whole lot of um, ways that conferences have tried to get um, uh, companies promoted or people promoted. And they have, you know, the traditional sponsorship um, uh, is done in a different way. And people, uh, someone might've written a book or, the, or a company may, may be out there and they want to get publicity and they, for, for lesser uh, uh, money, for less expensive uh, prices, they can go to a, um, a virtual conference and be a virtual sponsor. Um, there are companies that have risen up that are virtual um, uh, trade show companies, and they're showing um, their their wares, or they're doing a three minute video. On you know, it's like we pause for this commercial. It's almost like a TV show, and then they do. Yeah. So that's one one thing they could do. Um, you know, and the other thing is that to keep in mind that all large conferences are planned. They have been planned and they continue to be planned somewhere between um, six to 12 months before the actual event. Yeah. So, um, for example, CES, which is, uh, you know, the big um, consumer electronics show that's taking place in, in January. Um, that's mostly, uh, well, not mostly, it is. It's completely planned. That's been planned for, um, you know, probably five months already. They're, they're planned almost a year in advance. Mm -hmm. And so... A conference that is being um, planned now is likely not to occur until the summer of 21. And in a couple of months, you're going to be looking at planning. These organizations are going to start planning the second half of 2021. Right. God willing, there'll be a vaccine because that's what's going to turn this thing around. It's not yeah. going to travel won't continue at, uh, until I believe and surveys show that it won't continue until there's a vaccine. Um, it could take, you know, a year from now, easily. Um, you know, we're hopeful that something comes at the end of the year, but on a vast scale, it's probably not till next spring at the earliest. Um, and then people are gonna be hesitant. They're gonna say, let's see what happens. Um, so the advantage of planning now, pitching yourself to be a, a, a speaker for the fall um, is that, you can actually get it now. And, and they, they're planning uh, that next year, the second half, 
Those are being planned as in-person conferences. People are being optimistic. They can't gotcha. wait because they have hotel contracts. They can't just say one day, oh, let's see if we can find space for 500 people, right? Mm-hmm. So so there, that's the gotcha. other thing that people could be doing now, which is to find out um, if they are able to pitch themselves for conferences that may happen a year from now. Yeah. Yeah. Which that, yeah, that makes total sense. And we forget about that because like a lot of, I think people in this space, we just, you know, like the corporations and large associations, those types of bureaucratic organizations move so much slower. Like I know people in my world, they're, they're like, you know, like I can put on an event two months from now, three months from now. And that, that's true, sort of, although I would argue maybe not the best event as if they plan it a year and ahead. Uh, but I do know, I, I think there's going to be an opportunity for new speakers to get in the game if they're aggressively going after speaking engagements now, while the attitude is we don't know when they're coming back. And I guarantee you right. there's a lot of speakers that have pulled back from booking things. At, right. And, and at the same time, um, even if it's uh, local association chapters of associations, for example, uh, you know, it could be the San Diego chapter, the Boston chapter of the uh, American Marketing Association. They're usually planning their stuff three to six months in advance, not so far in advance. And there's nothing wrong with doing uh, a, a virtual um, presentation, whether it's a webinar, whether it's a full uh, one day conference. Um, it's still exposure. And um, in many cases, um, conferences, are, associations are doing more frequent ones than they were even when it was in person because they want to maintain some level of contact and communications with their constituencies, with their members. Mm-hmm. So there may be actually more opportunities now to get a virtual speaking opportunity than, than there were getting an in-person opportunity a right. year ago. So I yeah. think it's really important to, for people to just stay at it because these virtual yeah. opportunities are there. Yeah, and, and the virtual leads to the in-person, right? You build the trust, you get you get a, a good rapport exactly. with the meeting and organizers, you show up prepared. Um, I think a big part of it is going to be people that distinguish themselves by showing up and show that they've invested to make the virtual presentation as good as possible, um, have a chance to set themselves apart right? You exactly. may not be the most dynamic in-person speaker yet, but if you show up and you show that you care, you've got your microphone, you've got lighting, you've got camera, like you make sure that you invest time in learning how to use these new tools. Uh, I think you get, you give yourself another additional chance to blow people away at the event organizers beyond just your content and the presentation of who you are. Uh, so I'll just throw that out as a quick tactical aside. Um, but Steve, you mentioned earlier, you just kind of briefly glossed over it, uh, that you have a, uh, a course in which people can learn how to get these types of unpaid lead generating speaking engagements. So how do we connect up and, and how do we learn more about the course? Sure. Thanks for asking. So basically uh, what I have is a training slash coaching session that really um, is um, one-on-one. So I find that I do webinars myself um, through the auspices of other organizations, uh, such as the one I mentioned, the Institute for Management Consultants that I did uh, two days ago. I'm doing one in November uh, for the Society of Professional Consultants. Consultants are a good um, mm-hmm. uh, customer for me because they, they want to speak and yep. demonstrate expertise for their uh consulting specialty. Um, so basically what I do is um, they're, they're um, customized one-on-one training sessions. Uh, they're virtual. Um, they're either two hours or four hours. And there's one set for individual practitioners. And there's another set for uh, company staff. 
And when it's a company, um, I went into a big law firm a few months ago, for example, uh, or last year, actually, it was uh, probably December uh, already now, uh, and um, worked with the director of marketing and the chief marketing officer because it's uh, and the head of PR because it's usually marketing and PR folks who are responsible for getting the people uh, at the top that want to do the speaking, the executive team speaking engagements. In the case of an individual, then um, it can be, um, you know, and, and even for the corporate side, it's all totally virtual now. And I walk through all the, um, the processes that I mentioned before of uh, how to do all the research um, and identify your, your audience. Um, sometimes I, they don't even realize that there's an audience that would be of interest to them. And I, so I help get that done and, um, don't do the, um, I don't do the delivery, but I do the content in terms of, is this really a, a presentation that is, uh, going to be, uh, ex exciting to the conference organizer? Is it something that's going to be, um, accepted and then shaping the marketing materials is it self-marketing? Um, if, if I'm teaching them how to do it, uh, what do they need? They, you know, the bio and uh, they need a, what we call the presentation abstract. They can't just call a conference organizer and say, I'm, I'm here uh, and here's my bio. Uh, they need to, to have the answer to the question, what are you going to talk about? Mm -hmm. And they need to have that in, in a written outline form of several paragraphs with text and bullet points and there's, um, it's like, it's like email or anything else. There are good ones and there are bad ones. So I yeah. help them write that and then, um, work through the whole process of, um, how to do a, a filling out of a call for speakers, or if it's just sending an email, once you know what the process is, sending the organizer what they want and knowing what it is that, um, uh, is going to get it accepted or not and putting that, all that stuff in in the, in the right uh, shape and then following up. That's the, the key thing. Um, yeah. And even when you do a call for uh, presentations or a call for speakers, uh, it says it's basically online. You press submit, but you, you, most people don't know who, who's getting that. So um, I advise my clients to make sure you find out who is the person at the end of that, that funnel. Uh, so you know who to um, talk to before and who to talk to afterwards to try to get the speaking engagement uh, that you want. Yeah, I've, I found the same thing to be true in the podcast world. And, and mm -hmm. it's even more true now that so many people are home and not out doing the live in-person events. Uh, people have stepped up the outreach and getting themselves featured, featured on podcasts, which is amazing, except now the side effect of that has been just an increase in the overall number of pitches that, are, that people are receiving. And so we've started to find that most of our best results in getting me featured on podcasts has been on the second or third email that we send, as well as piggybacking off of an email with a personal LinkedIn connection and a message from me saying, hey, my team just reached out. We shot over an email because they thought I might be a good guest for your show. I noticed that right. we weren't connected here yet. Let me know if you have any questions about bringing me on. And, uh, and that's been really effective. So we've had to just step up. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all about the follow-up, you know, sending one email or one communication or picking up the phone once and calling an event organizer just isn't going to cut it in this, exactly. in this environment. So love it. All right. So Steve, where do they go? Uh, the website, uh, to, uh, get connected up and learn more about you. 
Sure. So the website, uh, my company again is Markman Speaker Management. That's M-A-R-K-M-A-N Speaker Management. And that's at www.markmanspeaker.com. They can email me at smarkman at markmanspeaker.com. My email address is also on my LinkedIn page, um, as my as is my website, um, and I'm I'm happy to speak to anybody uh, about the speaking business. I'm offering a 10 minute uh, free consultation for anyone that wants to uh, ask me questions about how to break in or how to expand. A lot of people are yeah. doing it for a while, but they want to have more speaking engagements and uh, very competitive. Everybody wants to speak, in spite of the fact that everybody says uh, it's one of the most feared things known to um, humankind. There's a lot of people that want to speak, and uh, it's very competitive. So it's, yeah. you need to to get an edge if you really want to want to do it. And happy to talk to anybody uh, about it. And um, appreciate uh, the time today, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you just kind of opening up uh, up your brain and your networks and 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 all the things that you've learned. Uh, there's things that I've never heard about the speaking business, and I work with a lot of speakers. Um, but you know, different circles, like we kind of operate a little bit in different arenas. And I mm-hmm. love learning about the intricacies of those things because it helps understand. Uh, where I can help my clients, what types of credibility indicators we need to have. Uh, I mean, obviously, most of my clients, if they haven't written a book already, end up writing a book, which is how I connected with Ken Lazat, who, who we met through. And yeah, I just it's like all these things are like a virtuous cycle. Hosting a podcast, writing a book, speaking on stage, like those three things together essentially like are your like your street cred for thought leadership you know it's it's less about the certifications there is no degree from harvard that that makes you a thought leader you know it's really those two or three things and i think everybody's moving in the direction of having like almost everybody in my world having all three of those types of things and so uh yeah i have all those conversations with clients behind the scenes about more speaking engagements how do i reach bigger companies like all that fun stuff so yeah it's it's been a blast getting to know and get, getting some of the inside scoop Great. Thanks again. And uh, I appreciate your time, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.